We've been dealing with the series Built to Last. I started preaching a couple of weeks ago and shared that it is time to build, church. It is time for us to move on into the next level as individuals and as a body. Glory to God. And we have this great um, example of a building project that took three different phases that we see in here. And we dealt with the fact that the first thing that was established was the altar. The altar was established because the first thing that you've got to do, whatever you're going to build, if you're going to build in the name of the Lord, you need to establish a place of worship, a personal time that you get before the Lord, a personal devotion unto him. And then we realized last week that after you have developed that personal time, it is important that you don't just stay in the little box about it's all about you, but that you move on and that you decide to step into another place to begin to do something that is bigger. Now you take what is private and you make it public. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we see here in this story that the people built this wonderful altar, they laid the foundation, and then suddenly after the foundation is laid, the adversaries begin to rise up. And what I want to speak to you today is a message that I have entitled, Advancing in the Face of Adversity. Advancing in the face of adversity. One of the clearest signs, one of the clearest signs that you or I can have that will prove to us that we are moving in the right direction is adversity. Hallelujah. One, 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 one of the things that I think that a lot of times we miss is we think that because situations get difficult for some reason, that means stop. Mm-hmm. We, we, we feel like, well, you know, this is a little bit tiresome. This is a little bit more difficult than I anticipated. Therefore, I'm going to hit the brakes because God must be saying stop. Hello? For most of us, this is true. You know, there's some of us in here that that's not the truth, you know, where, where we're a little bit more, you know, devoted to whatever we're trying to do. But for most of us, we begin to think those things. And it's important for us that we learn to read the signs that we're receiving from the correct perspective. From the correct perspective, what do you mean, Bishop? What I mean is that we have to know the cause of our, of our adversity. We've got to know the reason for what we're going through. We've got to know, am I going through this because I deserve it? You know, the Bible clearly says, God makes it very clear. He says that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Therefore, there are some things that we go through that we deserve. Amen. And then there are other things that we go through that are not deserved, but they are literally a blessing from the Lord. Amen. I, I know it doesn't seem that way, but you have been privileged. And so when you have been privileged, when you have been honored with hardship, when you have been honored with difficulty, it is a good thing, hallelujah. But it is important for us to figure out, okay, how do I read the sign right? Glory to God. Need the right perspective. See, a brother like me, I got to make sure that I have my glasses on. Hallelujah. Because if I don't have my glasses on, I'm going to be looking at signs trying to figure out where I'm going, and I ain't going to know. That's just because I'm blind. Hallelujah. Right? I can't see. So I got to put my glasses on to get the right perspective so that way I can define what it is that that sign is telling me. What that sign is. That sign is saying, you know, you need to slow down. You know, I need to slow down. If that sign is saying, you know, the, the road is going to get real curvy in a moment, it's important that I have the right perspective to understand what is coming my way. And it is the same thing for us when we are going through situations, when we're going through adversity. We've got to understand why is this thing coming into my life? Why is this situation? 
accusation coming against me. Why am I going through this? Because when we see things from the right perspective, it enables us to understand the divine reason for the adversity. And it will do one of two things. It will either give, it will either give us the faith to stand firm and continue to move forward, or it will give us the conviction to repent and turn back. See, when we understand how I got into this, how this situation arose in my life, then what begins to happen is you begin to realize, okay, you know what? I need to have faith in this because when I was walking I, I, or before this trial came into my life, I, I, obviously I wasn't perfect because no one is perfect, but I was seeking the face of God. I was endeavoring to get closer to him. I was desiring to know his will. I decided that I was going to stop doing those things that I knew were not pleasing to the Lord. Well, when you begin to go through hardship because you made a right decision, that's a privilege. But when you're going through hardship because you are, well, you know what, before I got into this, I was acting like this, I was doing this, I wasn't concerned with God the way that I should have, I was, you know, putting my Bible up on the shelf, not going and getting it to reference it for the decisions I was making in my life, hallelujah, I wasn't going to church, I wasn't connecting with the body of believers, I wasn't obeying the Lord, I wasn't being right in my workplace situation, I wasn't treating my spouse the way that I should, and now I end up in this situation, that's what you deserved. But you know what's beautiful about God is that whether you deserved it because you earned it or whether you went on ahead and it's a privilege from him, he can deliver you from it all. If you will simply either walk with him or you will repent of what you did to get into the situation that you're in. Hello, somebody. It's, it's, it, repentance is such a beautiful thing because when we will come before God and we will recognize our sin, we will recognize our error, we will recognize what we are doing wrong, and then we say, Lord, I recognize what I'm doing wrong and I no longer want to continue doing wrong, and we turn from that, God is able to deliver us and set us free and get us on the right path and move us forward in his purpose for our lives. But we have got to be willing to really search. Hallelujah. See, because a lot of us don't want to search. We just want to blame God. Hello. Where's God in my situation? How many people do we hear say that stuff? Well, God abandoned me. Okay, did God abandon you or were you not thinking about him at all? For someone to abandon you means that you had to be connected. You had to be close with each other. There had to be some kind of, oh, he's devoted to you, but are you devoted to him? Mm-hmm. So we've got to know where this situation is coming from. And why is this? Because we're talking about building, church. We're talking about being built into the dwelling place where the glory of God can manifest, where the kingdom of God can be extended, and where his will can be established in the earth. This is what God is doing right now, church. This is what he wants to do. He wants to build us up as a body of believers so we can be the dwelling place of God. When we come together, the dwelling place of God. When we're in our homes, the dwelling place of God. When we're in our workplace, the dwelling place of God. The place where God's presence can manifest at any given moment. When you have a need or you run into someone else that has a situation, you are the dwelling place of God. So guess what? You don't have to call me. You don't have to call one of the other pastors. You don't have to call the most spiritual Christian you know. You can be that answer to the situation or whatever is going on because you are the dwelling place where God is there and his kingdom can be manifested through you. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, are you being built? Hallelujah. Shake your other neighbor and say, neighbor, are you being built? 
The enemy, the enemy is opposed, church. He is opposed to any advancement of the kingdom of God in the earth, any type of advancement. But you'll notice something. When we look at this story, we looked at this whole building project from its inception, and we saw that when Zerubbabel first came back to Jerusalem, he went ahead and he built this altar, right? And we talked about the time frame after which this altar was built, this place of worship. No, no adversary rose up then. The adversary rose up when? The adversary rose up once the foundation for the temple was laid. That is when he rose up. Why? Because you know what? The enemy doesn't, hear me, church. The enemy doesn't want you to have a prayer life. He doesn't want you to pray. He doesn't want you to have a personal devotion to the Lord. He doesn't want you to be committed to God on a personal level, that altar, that personal level. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to do that. But if you go on ahead, give your life to Jesus and decide, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to begin to pray. I'm going to begin to study the word of God. I'm going to begin to have my, my time with the Lord. I'm going to begin to come to church. He's, he, he's, he, he don't like that, but he's okay with that. But you know when he gets a problem? He has a problem the moment that you decide, I'm going to the next level with this. I'm going to take the God that I am rejoicing in, the God that I am in fellowship with, the God that I am devoted to, I am going to take him and now we are going to begin to do something to bring change to this earth. He has a problem with that. Why, why, why does he have a problem with that? Well, he has a problem with that because if you read, and we're not going to go through all of this, but if you read the letter that was written to the king, there was some things that were being said about this nation. And it was about the reputation of their God. Well, they're building this rebellious and evil city. And, and, they, and they have been known to go against kings and all of this stuff. And you know what it was is that in the Old Testament, when, the kid, when, when, when God was, was bringing the children of Israel into different lands, you know what was happening? God was turning the world upside down. Hello, somebody. And so you know what happened in the New Testament? It just changed just a little bit. God wasn't throwing things upside down like that. God did something different after Jesus came. He said the kingdom of God is within you, and so now you begin to carry that kingdom. You begin to carry the glory of God, and we read in the book of Acts as we've been studying, we understand that there was a story there that the people clearly said. What did they say? They said the people who have turned the world upside down have come here. Why is that? Because God's reputation doesn't change. In the Old Testament, he was turning the world upside down. In the New Testament, he's turning the world upside down. But you know what he needs in both sides? He needs a people who are willing to connect with him and allow him to turn their world upside down first and then use them to turn the world upside down. You see, this is, this is what happens here. The children of Israel, the reason why this whole rebuilding project was taking place, the reason why this whole thing was happening was because of disobedience. Because the children of Israel began to worship false gods. The children of Israel lost focus of the true and holy God and began to do their own things. And because of that, judgment came. And so they deserved what they ended up getting. They ended up in bondage. But you know what? God doesn't want us to be bound forever. Hello? God doesn't want us to be hurting and broken forever. He says clearly that he is there with the broken and contrite so he can revive their spirit, so he can give new life, so he can give new vigor. That's what he's there to do. Hallelujah. But we find here. That God is, it has this wonderful reputation, and then the adversary rises up because, okay, they're worshiping, that's cool. 
But now we see that they're trying to take their worship to another level. Now they're trying to take their worship, their words of devotion. They're trying to take all of their commitment and all of that sacrifice, and they're trying to build a place where God's glory can dwell. And now once that happens, now all of a sudden, everybody who comes by here is going to be focused on that place. Everybody who comes by here is going to be focused, and, and, and even more importantly, is that if they build that place, we know from history that the glory of God descended where they built that temple, and we don't want that because when the glory of God descends, things start to change. Hallelujah. So the first thing that we've got to understand is we must recognize, say this with me, we must recognize the target of the enemy. And look at verse, uh, verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, it talks about who they were specifically enemies of. And it says that they were enemies of Judah and Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. Now, last week, we went through some names and some definitions, and I hope you got it. If you didn't, you can, you know, go online and hear the, hear the, um, the, the CD or, the, or the, the message there. But we went through some definitions because, remember, these definitions, these names are important to us. And so the first one that we look at is the one Judah. And that is the one we talked about last week. It means praised or praise. But why is Judah so important? Why are they the enemies of Judah? Well, if you, if you just go back in history a little bit, you'll go ahead and you'll see that when the children of Israel were like in the book of Joshua and they were coming into the land of promise, they asked God, God, who should go first? And he said, Judah goes first, right? So the people of praise, they go first. So they make the way. Praise is going to make the way. But if you go a little further back into the history and the book of Genesis, you'll find that when Jacob, or Israel was on his deathbed he prophesied over all 12 of his sons and when he prophesied over Judah he said from he said this in a nutshell he said that Judah was like a lion he communicated that he was like a lion that he was a ruler and he talked about this ruler and what he was saying was he was giving a prophetic word and saying out of you the Messiah is going to come why is that important? Why would the enemy why, why, why would the enemy pick Judah? You don't want to know why? Because the greatest student of prophecy is the devil. You, you didn't hear what I just said. The greatest student of prophecy is the devil. Any prophetic word that has been over your life, you might have forgot it. He didn't. No, now you got it. See, he, he may have spoken over you blessing. He may have spoken over you destiny. He may have spoken over you. God may have prophesied over your life. You are going to be this, that, and the other. You're going to just do all kind of great wonders. And you know what? You might have forgot about all that stuff, but the devil didn't. He wants to keep you forgetting about that stuff. He wants to keep you away from fulfilling your prophetic destiny. He wants to keep you away from fulfilling God's purpose and call on your life. And it was the same thing here. He understood that if he could eliminate Judah, then he would have good chances of eliminating the Messiah that was going to come and bruise his head some thousand years later. Hello? So he's the enemy of Judah. He's the enemy of that place of praise. And then he says he's the enemy of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was the youngest son. He was the youngest son. And the way that, 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 that the prophecy was over him was they called him a ravenous wolf. And he would just tear his prey. He, he prophesied over him. He said that he was going to be ruthless. This is, what, this is what he communicated about Benjamin. Now, mind you, 
He prophesied this way back in the book of Genesis. If you follow the church, if you follow the track and you go throughout and you fast forward to the book of Judges, you remember a story there. There was this, there, 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 first of all, there was a judge by the name of Ehud, and he was what? He was from there. He was from Benjamin. He was the one that God raised up to be a deliverer. But later on, toward the latter part of this, there is this, there, there is this, this, this recognition of the warriors that are in Judah. And, I mean, I'm sorry, Benjamin. He communicates this. They got like, like I think it's like 26,000 or 46,000 people that are warriors, right? But then he points out something. He specifically said, but there are 700 of them that are left-handed. And they sling this stone and they'll hit a hair. I mean, these guys were some bad dudes. That's what they were. They were warriors, so they had issues with them. Why is that? Well, you see, when you look at the name Benjamin, his daddy renamed him because we know that when his mother was giving birth to him, she was dying. When she was dying, she said, Ben-Onai, which what did it mean? Son of my sorrow. Gave him a, a bad prophetic destiny. You're going to cause sorrow everywhere you go. Your wife's going to be sorrowful. Your children are going to be sorrowful. You're going to be a sorrowful. But, but, but his father comes in, and his father says, no, Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of my strength. And it's amazing because while he calls him son of the right hand, the one that the Bible points out as being the powerful ones are the ones who are left-handed. Go figure. Why is that, church? Because in those days, you got to remember that the left-handed folks, they were like abnormal. Hello. Even in our own history, when, you know, back in the days, kids were going there trying to write with their left hand. Teacher would be like, nope, you need to put it in your right hand. Everybody, because you're left-handed, there's something wrong with you. There ain't nothing wrong with you. Hallelujah. But there's something that we realize, and in, 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 in sports is when we see it the most. When you got a left-handed boxer, you got an issue. He don't have an issue. You have an issue. Why? Because he's different. He fights from a different perspective. He twists his body a different way. He moves him. See, I love Rocky. Hallelujah. And Rocky was a southpaw. <laughs> Adrian! Listen, I, I, he, he was a southpaw. And, and when, 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 when they were talking to Apollo, they told Apollo, they said, listen, Apollo, I don't like him for you. He's a southpaw. You know, that's, that's awkward. Who became the champ? Rocky Balboa. That's what's up. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Listen, listen, listen. Why is this important? I use that to paint a picture because there is a reality that being left-handed, in, in, in a lot of cases, they looked at it as being a negative, but nowadays we see it as being a positive because you do things differently. And so what, what we've got to realize is that God is longing for someone, just somebody who will believe him and understand that, you know what? You may not be like every other person. You may not be able to preach. You may not be able to teach. You may not be able to sing or play an instrument. You may not have the patience to work in a nursery, but there is something in you that God wants to speak over your life and wants to call you forward so that way you can be the surprise to the enemy so you can be the one who is going to step forward and do something great for the kingdom of God. But if you continue to measure yourself based on what everything seems like, no, 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 you're going to miss what God wants to do, church. See, we're talking about folks who have not been like everybody else. It's okay. As long as you're not being like everybody else is sin. Hello, somebody. That's not okay. Amen. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about sin. God is not going to take your sin and do something great with it. God, he, he nailed your sin to the cross. Hello. And we need to leave our sin on the cross and allow Christ to work with us. But just because we're not like everybody else doesn't mean that we don't have great purpose. As a matter of fact, if we're not like everybody else, the enemy wants to keep us from knowing our strengths. Hello. 
So he's got the enemy, the enemy of Judah. He doesn't want you to praise God. Why doesn't he want you to get in praise with the Lord? He doesn't want you to get in praise because God dwells in that place of praise. Hello, somebody. God dwells where, where, where you, when we're, when we're talking about praise, we're not just talking about singing. We are talking about living. And, and I, heard, I heard a great definition of what praise was. Praise is speaking about God. That's what it is. It is speaking about him. And so when you are praising him, you speak about him every time you make a decision. Hello. You speak about your devotion to him every time you make a decision. Every time that you treat your husband or you treat your wife a certain way, guess what? You are either praising God or you're praising your flesh. Hello. Mm -hmm. You are either speaking praise when you make the right decisions in your workplace. You are speaking praise to God. And you know what? God dwells there. Why? Because when you are praising him, light shine. Hallelujah. And then opportunities open up. But not just that. Praise is the place where we become molded more and more into his character. Because every time that we are giving him praise, guess what's happening? We're becoming more and more like him. But the enemy doesn't want you to be in praise either because it is there that we end up getting the favor of God on our lives. What do you mean, Bishop? What I mean is a lot of times... We're busy trying to impress our bosses. Or I'll stay late. I'll work on Saturday. Whatever you need me to do. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Praise the Lord. But let me ask you a question. When the Holy Ghost calls you, do you say, I'll stay later in your presence? When you wake up and you don't know why you're up and you just can't go to sleep, instead of turning on the TV, are going to get your favorite book, are going to have, you know, some milk and cookies or something. Hmm. Why don't you go into his presence? Are you saying to him, see, because here's the point. The point is that we have become masters at being great in all of these other areas, trying to gain the favor of men. But we have not realized how important it is for us to gain the favor of God in our lives. Because when we have the favor of God in our lives, do you understand that God can touch your boss's heart a lot easier than you can? Do you understand that God can open up doors a lot faster than you can? Do you understand that God can bring promotion into your life a lot faster? Look, all the time you're spending working late, keep doing that. But you know what? Get up early and spend some more time with the king of glory. So that way his glory and his favor are manifesting upon your life as you are doing what? Working in your job, but his favor is there. It's not just a hard worker, but there's something that separates you. But you don't do that if you're not occupied with praise. Hello, somebody. So he doesn't want to keep us there. He doesn't want us to understand our strength because the moment that we understand our strength, you know what we begin to do? We begin to rise up and do something with it. Hello? He wants us to stay down. He wants us to be depressed. He wants us to continue to look. Now, we ain't got nothing to offer. But here's what it is, church, is God is building worship warriors, worshiper warriors, those who will stand firm in the face of adversity, worshiping the king of glory, who will make sure that that is their primary goal, to give glory, to give honor, and to magnify him in all things. And at the same time, while they are worshiping God, while they are devoted to him, and they're continuing to move forward, accomplishing every task and every assignment God has given them, they are slaying the enemy 
enemies before them. Hello, when you stay focused on doing the things that God has called you to do. You know, you ain't got to go and be crazy. You know, I believe in spiritual warfare and prayer and pulling down and casting down and rebuking. I believe in all of that because all of that is vital. But listen, don't let it stop there. You need to be a person who physically moves in a natural dimension with the glory and power of God in your life and is literally pulling down those strongholds, who is literally bringing change to the atmosphere, who is literally doing something that is causing the glory of God to manifest. And every time that you accomplish what God has assigned you to do, Bishop, what are you talking about assignments? The Bible is filled with assignments. Hallelujah. The Bible is filled with what our responsibility is. The Bible is full of what we're supposed to do. And every time that we comply with and we obey what this Bible teaches us, you know what we're doing? We are slaying the enemy right before us. Simply obeying the Lord day in and day out, just doing what God has called us to do. The second thing, please repeat this after me. We must beware of the tactics of the enemy. And so we continue on to read here in verse 2, and it says, They came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. We have sacrificed to him since the days of, of Esarhaddon, king of Syria, who brought us here. Now notice, they come, they have an issue with them. They don't come with guns blazing. That isn't what they do. The tactic of the enemy, the first thing is what the greatest thing is. Or one of the greatest tactics is to do what? To infiltrate the enemy's camp acting like you're one of them. So you infiltrate it, act like you're one of them. You're hanging out with them, laughing at their jokes, hanging out with them. You know, oh yeah, we're seeing, we're spying out, doing all this stuff here. And then from the inside, you begin to destroy the enemy. Hello. So this is what he says. He, they, they come to them. They're like, hey, we're just like you. We're, we're, we're exactly like you. And here's the problem. The problem was that they were talking to people who are known today as the Samaritans. So what does that mean to us? Well, you remember Jesus. How many of y'all remember Jesus with a woman at the well? Raise your hand if you remember that story real well. Well, you remember Jesus having this conversation with this woman at the well. Popular story talks about worship. But he says something peculiar to her. She asks him the question about worship. And he says to her, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship because salvation is where? Of the Jews, right? Why is this important? He's telling this woman, y'all don't know what you worship. Because what happened was when this king, Sahardin or whatever his name is there, when he brought the people, they're, 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 there's a group of Israelites who come to this land. And there's a group of Babylonians. You know what they do? They did something that was contrary to the law. They married, they intermarried, and we'll talk about that later on, but they married. So now you have people who are half Israelite and half Babylonian. Now, here's the problem. This is the issue. If they were worshiping 100% exactly like Israel, they'd be okay, but it wasn't that way. They were worshiping all kinds of gods, and they added to their list of gods the God of heaven. They worshiped him in a superstitious manner. It wasn't a real devotion the way that it was supposed to be. But I want you to notice who communicated to them, we don't want nothing to do with you. It was the heads of the houses. It was the men of God. You know what we desperately need in this day and hour? We need mighty men of God who will stand up for their families and will not allow the enemy access to their homes. Men of God who will arise as the voices that will be prophetic voices in their home and will speak to those things that do not belong in their homes. Men of God who will stand firm against all of the lies and deceptions of the enemy. It wasn't the women that came out and said, no, no, no. Hello, somebody. 
It was the men of God, the leaders of the household. They said, no, we don't want, you don't have anything to do with building here. You know why? Because they understood the reason why we are in this situation is because of false worship. And if we allow you to become part of our building project, we will end up worshiping the way that you do, and we're going to hinder what God is trying to do. So they said, nope, you guys can't do it. Well, it seems like this wonderful offer to come and help now changed. And what we've got to do, church, is we've got to recognize the voice of the enemy when he is offering us a distorted form of salvation. Hello. See, because nowadays, I, I, I want you to realize something. There is this, there, there is a great movement, especially within our nation. You know, we just want to bring together all faiths. Dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because we are not worshiping the same God. Hello, somebody. I, I, I am not worshiping the same God that the Buddhists are worshiping. I'm sorry. It may offend someone, but I am not worshiping the same God. I'm not even worshiping the same God that Islam is. I'm not worshiping that same God. I am worshiping a different God. I am worshiping the true God. Therefore, I cannot combine my efforts and act like everything is hunky-dory, peachy keen when it is not. I am here in this earth, and I have to evangelize because of the deception, hello, that they have brought into this earth. That's, that, that's what it's about, church. So we have got to recognize that we can't just be mixing together and get, and they understood that. But you know what? Distorted forms of salvation. Well, don't all paths lead to God? No. <laughs> there is a path that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. Hello, somebody. So obviously not all paths lead to God. There's paths that lead to death. Mm-hmm. That's the confirmation. Hallelujah. <laughs> no, that's a motorcycle, actually. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we need to recognize the voice of the enemy when he's offering us a detrimental solution. Listen, do you not think that it would have been helpful for them to get a hand with this building project? These people were all there. They could have looked. They, they, they had houses already built in that area. The children of Israel could have went over there. They could have sat down, had some lemonade on break time. They would have been chilling over there, you know. Everything would have been good. It, it seemed like a great solution to their problem, but it was detrimental. You know why? Because if they would have allowed them to come and be part of that, it would have messed up the whole thing that God was trying to do. Things would have not happened the way that they needed to happen. And can I, I'll just say it like this. There would have also never been that line drawn in the sand that you guys need what we have hear me if they would have said you guys come on come come and help you, you you're part of this you're 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 part of this thing here they would have never recognized Jesus would have not been able to have that conversation with the woman at the well and her recognize the need that she had but because these men of God rose up and said no we don't want a part of this you're not you don't have any part in this with us then you know what we're not going to do it and then also, we need to recognize his divisive assistance that he wants to bring that division and turn people against. And why do we need to build this? Why do we need to do it? Listen, we don't need to listen to voices like that. We need to move forward and do what God has called us to do because there's plenty of voices that want to bring against us the discouragement. Continue to read with me, please. In verse 3, it says, But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God. In other words, look, you have 
no part in this. We have an assignment from the Lord, and you don't have a part to do in this, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel. As King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us, in verse 4, goes on and shows us what happened here. It says, then the people of the land who were offering to help and offering to assist us tried to discourage the people of Judah. They tried to discourage the children of praise. They tried to discourage them from doing what it was that God called them to do. And they troubled them in their building. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so we find here that after they were given this, you know, hey, we want to help you out, then they switched it on them. And what happens is once we reject that offer of the enemy, you know what's going to happen? The enemy is going to now try to come and bring discouragement. You're going to now try to come and take our heart from us. Oh, you don't, need to, you, 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 don't, you don't need to pray that much. You don't need to be in church that much. you got other things you can do. You don't need to sow into the ministry. You don't need to tithe and offer. You don't need to evangelize to those people that are lost. You don't need to go on ahead. Matthew party. What's a Matthew party? Hello. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You're all right just right where you're at. No, you're not all right right where you're at. Listen, God wants to take you higher, and he wants to take you further, but you're never going to get there if you're just chilling and relaxing. Hello? So, he, so they bring this discouragement. They bring this fear because that's literally what it means. It says they brought them fear to, to their whole building project, trying to intimidate them. But then it says that they hired counselors against them. So what, what, what's happening is these people are trying to come and whatever it was, maybe they were dealing with, you know, over, you know, bringing the, 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 the wood from the other place they had to. And they have people that they thought were on their side having conversation with them, tell them, yeah, everything's coming. It's going to be here next week. Stuff wasn't coming in. Stuff's not being ordered. This is what it means to hire. They hired, they hired people who would communicate false hope and bring discouragement to do what? To bring frustration, to bring that. And, and I listened to another definition of the word frustration, and they say, you know what it is? It is passion working against you. So now they were passionate about building up the house of God. They were passionate about seeing the house of the Lord built again. They cried. You remember they cried. They wept. They rejoiced over the foundation that was laid. So they desired to do it. But now they're not seeing that happen. So what happens? Now they have this passion working against them. Now they begin to relax. And then if you go to the book of Haggai, which we're not going to go there, but you'll see that when the prophet Haggai comes onto the scene, he says something. He says, listen, this is what all the people are saying. Surely right now is not the time to build a house to the Lord. That's what was happening in their minds. They felt like, oh man, the opposition is too heavy. This is too difficult. You know, talking about building and all this stuff. Well, wait a second. How, how can we build in an economy like this? How can we fix stuff in an economy like this? Hold on a second. We don't live on this economy. We live on God's economy, church. Hello? This is the perfect time to do something for the kingdom of God. My situation is so messed up. There's no way that I can build. Now, right now is the perfect time for you to fix whatever's broken by allowing God to do it. It's at that moment that he gets all of the glory. Hello? The third thing that I want you to repeat with me is that we must be tenacious in the face of our enemy. Understanding that opposition is inevitable is only half of the battle. We have got to have a plan to stand. We've got to have a plan that we are going to stand firm in the face of this opposition. We know that opposition is going to come. Anytime that you try to do something good, well, you know what? You just automatically, all right, you know, opposition is going to come. This is not going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be. There may be some extra expenses. There may, may, may be some extra time that I've got to take to do this. It's, it's not going to be, okay, so you got that down. But what are you going to do to stand against that stuff? 
What are you going to do to stand firm? Well, the Bible gives us a clear plan on what we're supposed to do. And we turn over to chapter 5, please. And looking at chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 here. And it says, in verse 1 it says, Then the prophets, the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and in Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. The key to standing firm in the face of adversity is clothing yourself in the very armor of God. What do you mean the armor of God? When you look at that armor of God, the armor of God is what Jesus, I mean, is what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. He says that we are supposed to put on the full armor of God so we can stand in the evil day, so we can stand up against the wiles of the enemy. And when we look at the armor of God, what does that mean? The armor of God is simply putting on Christ, putting on the, you know, the helmet of salvation is doing what? Getting your mind right so that way you think the thoughts that Christ Thing, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? That is getting the heart of God. That is protecting yourself, feeling, letting your emotions being dealt with by the Lord, putting on your belt of truth. Well, well, Jesus is the truth, is he not? The word of God is the truth, and it is putting that on. So, you know, you, when, when you put your belt on, what does it do? It keeps your pants from falling. Hello, somebody. There's a whole lot of folks in these days that need some belts. Amen? They haven't figured out what a belt is for yet. That's all it is. They just needed to be here today. Get them this CD, please. Help them out. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but you get this belt of truth, church. This belt of truth that girds your loins, and that way you're able to stand fast with the truth. You're able to walk in place your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace, understanding that you are putting on Christ, and everywhere you go, no matter where it is, it can be an opportunity for you to share who? Jesus Christ with the world. you got this shield of faith, but where do you get faith from? You get it from hearing the word of God. So you need this shield of faith in order to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, and then you have this sword of the spirit. So when the enemy doesn't want to back off and all that stuff, Guess what? You have a weapon in order to cut the enemy down with. And all you've got to do is have the word of God. And this is what happened. These people were discouraged. They were fearful. They were frustrated. They were going through all kind of mess. And guess what? God brings these prophets into their life to communicate with them. And I want to let you know something. They didn't go running after the prophets. The prophets came to them. So that should encourage us. All we've got to do is cry out to God and he will give us the word of the Lord that we need. And guess what? Most of the time it is right here, church. Hello. Too many folks that we know, you have conversations with them, and they're asking God for a sign, and they're asking God to speak to them, but they don't crack their Bibles open. How do you expect God to speak to you when you want to open your Bible? Oh, oh I know, you want to be led by your feelings. Praise the Lord, okay. That's what you want to do. Yeah, feelings go up and down. One day you're going to feel like this, but where is the word of the Lord that is going to help you to stand? Where is the word of the Lord? Because the Bible says that the prophets who prophesied helped them. The prophetic words that were being spoken, literally, the word is to sustain them, supported them. That's what they did. So when they were building and they were getting discouraged, the word of the Lord was coming into their life and was encouraging them, building up their faith. So no longer were they discouraged. They had the courage that came from the word of God. No longer were they fearful because they knew that God was with them. No longer were they frustrated because they were moving in the dimension and in the purpose God called them to do. But what was the key element to that? 
that. It was the word of God. When they started this, remember, way back when King Cyrus heard, he said, you know what? It is time to go do this so that way the word of God can be fulfilled. Building according to the pattern of God is all about one thing. It is about hearing what God says and continuing to run with it and do what he's called you to do. And so as a church, we have got to have that mindset. It is about fulfilling and completing what God's word says. And it is his word that will send us, and it, is, and it is his word that will sustain us. And that way we can get to the completion of the project and see the glory of the Lord. The last thing that I want to ask you is this, is what is it that is hindering your forward advancement in Christ? What is it? What is it that's keeping you from moving forward? How is it that the enemy has stopped you up? Maybe it's not the enemy. Maybe it's just you. Maybe you've just gotten laxed, think everything is all right. I don't need any more of the Lord. I'm good. Everything is all right with me. Wrong mindset. If everything is all right with you, you should be crying out to God more than ever before. If everything is all good with you, you should be helping as many people as you can come to know that Savior that has everything so good in your life. Hello, somebody. Listen, if everything is great, then we need to be those people that are showing the greatness of God to this world. But the question is, what is hindering you from moving forward? What is hindering you from getting to where God wants you to get? You see, because if you listen to the voice of the enemy, you know what happens? When you listen to the voice of the enemy, you will find yourself taking much longer to do what God has called you to do than you needed to. What do you mean? You know how long it took the children of Israel to get to the place of completion? You know how long it took them to, to complete this temple? It took them 21 years in total. Listen to me. Why is this important? You know how long it took them to build from the time that the prophets started to prophesy to the time it was completed? Four years. Four years. So look at all of these other years that were wasted. Doing what? Listening to the enemy. Listening to the lies of the enemy. Listening to the discouragement of the enemy. They could have been done in four years rejoicing, giving glory and honor to God. They could have been doing so much more. But instead, they were listening to whatever it was that the enemy was saying. They allowed themselves to be discouraged. But praise God for his word that even after we've been chilling and we've been held back by our own decision to listen to the enemy rather than listening to God, God is able to scoop us up and say, all right, son, all right, daughter. Let's get you to fulfill what I've called you to fulfill. So the question is, what is it that's hindering your advancement? Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Maybe you haven't made that commitment to him. Today's a glorious and wonderful day for you to say, you know what, God? I want to begin to build. I want to begin to walk with you. Maybe you've been a Christian walking with him all of this time and you still have these issues. Maybe you made a commitment to him and you just haven't been good through it. You haven't continued to walk with him. Today is a glorious day to say, God, here I am. Everybody stand to your feet, please, and bow your heads. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You alone know what it is that is holding you back. Maybe it's your past. Maybe it's a situation or circumstance.
But today, if you say, Lord, I don't want to be held back anymore. I want to move forward. I want to move forward into your will, into your purpose. Hallelujah. If that's you, then you say, God, I want to move forward. I don't want to be stuck here anymore. I just want to see you lift your hand up before the Lord in this place. I see the hand. I see the hands. I see the hands. I see the hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Glory to God. You can put your hands down. If you're in this place and you raised your hand just because of the fact that we're talking about moving forward, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. And I'm going to ask the pastors, the ministers, altar workers to pray with you as you come forward. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you raise your hand, just come on forward. Praise the Lord Jesus. Father, we honor you. Father, have your way in these hearts, my God. Have your way in these lives, my Lord. Have your way, my God. Have your way, Master. Glorify your name. Glorify your name, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, Father. God, we honor you and we praise your name. We honor you and we praise your name today, Lord. Father, we recognize you're calling us, Lord God, to another place in you. You're calling us, Heavenly Father, to rise up, dear Lord. You're calling us, Heavenly Father, to obey your will, Father God. You're calling us to no longer be held back, my God, to no longer be hindered, my Lord. Father God, I pray that attitudes that may not be right, Father God, I pray that mindsets that may not be right, dear God, that you would remove them in the name of Jesus. Father God, that you would help my brothers and my sisters, my God, that are here on this altar today, Lord God, to leave here whatever has been holding them back, my God. Father God, I pray that your spirit would fill them with fresh fire, my God, that you would consume chains, my God, that you would consume obstacles, my Lord, that you would consume, Lord God, those things, dear Lord, that are not going to allow, Father God, for them to move forward, Lord God. God, they have heard your word and they have responded to you, my God. And so today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come down, Lord God, upon these lives, my Lord. And God, that you would fill them with wisdom, fill them with faith, fill them with power, Lord God. Fill them with conviction of your spirit, my Lord. And may your glory be upon their lives. May they, Heavenly Father, see the next level as not just a possibility but a reality my God Father God may they grow into the men into the women of God that you've called them to be and Father God no more hindrances Lord God Father we command Lord God every adversary to bow in the name of Jesus and that you Father God would give them the power to rise Lord God in Jesus name hallelujah Lord Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord.